JM in the AM, Thursday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM in our New York City studios. By the way, I am told the Facebook Live video is live. You can go to Facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network again. You can go to Facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network and see what's doing in studio. And believe you me, today there's something very exciting doing in studio here at JM in the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Many of you are... Uh, likely aware of the fact that there's a brand new book out there. Our friends at Artscroll have again produced something that uh, is conjectured to be a bestseller. It is called the Tusha Rebbe. I'm actually holding it up right now to the camera. The Tusha Rebbe. Go to facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. You'll see it. Uh, the Tusha Rebbe, the life, leadership, and legacy of Rabbi Meshulam Feish Halevi Lowy. A uh, brand new from Artscroll. Rabbi Yisrael Besser is in our studio. You may know him. From his work with Art Scroll about the life of Rabbi Meir Zlotowitz. You might know him as the author of a book about the Hassam Sofer. You may know him uh, through the work he did on the intimate glimpses of inspiring leaders in the book entitled Warm by Their Fire. That's just a short sample of what he's done with Art Scroll, other publishers as well, but a short description of what he's done with our friends at Art Scroll Misora. Rabbi Yisrael Besser, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nachum. As always, it's so exciting to be here. I appreciate that. Your level of excitement is quite obvious, frankly. It's a little bit early in the morning. Maybe <laughs> the people like you, morning people, you're like that annoying roommate or guy in Adira who gets up all excited every morning and all chipper and everybody else wants to throw a slipper at him. That's what I feel like every time I'm here. And despite that, you make me laugh. I am taking that as a compliment. Simple as that. It's also a compliment. <laughs> Um, it's rare that we get this opportunity, that we get this chance. And the reason is because you're not a New Yorker. You're not somebody who lives in the New York area. It's rare to have you in studio because you're generally up in Montreal, Canada, ironically enough, because this book that I hold in my hand has a lot to do with Montreal. And uh, anyway, so it's a, it's a pleasure to welcome you here. And uh, your, your international reputation is well known. And when we get a chance to schmooze about anything, uh, especially your works, it's always a real pleasure. Can, can one write this book if they're not from Montreal? Yeah, I guess if they were determined enough. It takes a lot of travel. And and like all good interviews, and I don't have to tell the king of all interviewers how to do a good interview, but it really comes down to time and the personal relationship. I, you know, I tell younger people who do interviews, they say, I have an hour and a half to do this interview. So I always tell them, an hour and 20 minutes is just for me, that connection. If you're lucky, maybe you'll do the interview for 10 minutes. Because if you walk into somebody's house, and they don't know you, and they don't trust you, and they don't feel warm towards you, they might tell you one or two stories, but there's nothing real. There's nothing alive in that conversation. And the, and the key to a good interview, like I said, I, it's presumptuous of me to look you in the eye and tell you that, but I'm talking to your listeners, um, <laughs> is the relationship. It's When I sit down in this chair, I'm looking at you as Nachum Siegel, who I just enjoyed talking to for the last few minutes until we went on air, and every time I see you, I feel this this connection with you. Uh, so living in Montreal makes it easier because I could follow up again and again. Right. Somebody's tired. A lot of the people are older people. The people especially right. who remember the Rebbe back in the rebuilding years aren't young anymore. So if you're, if you're going to come in and you have a flight to catch, it's not going to be a good interview. Right. So the geographic advantages are, are really simply just access. It's, it's being there and being able to sit. Because exactly. I kept thinking that, that because you're a Montreal resident all these years, you, you would have a... I don't know, some insight and some historic perspective, even if it's recent history, to the influence of the Tushare, but more than anyone from out of town, out of Montreal would. But the way you're saying it, that may not be necessarily true. 
the Tash Rebbe didn't didn't live in Montreal or even in Tash. He was he was really um, an international figure in terms of scope and reach. He hid out in Montreal. Montreal was the furthest place he could find. It's not Montreal Tash. It's about forty miles north of Montreal. Right. And that was like his hideaway from where he was able to. Right. Kind of Although all New Yorkers who say they're going to see the Red Bull always say, I'm going to Montreal. To Montreal. So you, you understand right. that, right? Right. You know, the airport's in Montreal, obviously. <laughs> right. They go in and out. Um, so, so he kind of was running this empire, this really this global empire, using, you know, there wasn't a lot of technology then. He was, he was running circles around his own government, his own people. I hope you'll find time to read the book. I know you have oh, a I read week most of it already. I read most and, of it. You uh, will not ruin this Shabbos for me. It's my son's <laughs> Ofer. I said, no way. No way I'm saving this book for Shabbos. I'm getting this done ASAP. They really used something in your speech. <laughs> Thank you. He, uh, <laughs> he, he ran, you know, I, I meet people from all walks of life, um, varying levels of religious observance who all had a connection to Tash. Right. Um, for, for those years, the 80s, the 90s, anybody involved in any kind of large business felt that the Tash Rebbe and having him in their life and having him as, as, as somebody that they could count on was indispensable. Right. So he really was running this global empire in Montreal. It just happened to be the place he was hiding out. You know, it's funny you say all this about the business aspect because until I did read the book, it was lost on me, the, the spiritual aspect of the Rebbe, because all I ever heard growing up and then you know becoming an adult was that if you are a business person or if you have to make a significant decision in the world of business or not-for-profit, go up to Montreal first, speak to the Tusha Rebbe. And that was, that was a, sort of, in, in a way, again, being unfair in the big picture, but sort of, you have a medical situation, go speak to the Square Rebbe, right? That's the reputation. He's the medical Rebbe. So the Tusha Rebbe was always the, the business and, and business decision Rebbe. It, it's true, but, you know, back to the Balshamtov, really, right. the earliest Rebbes, the the holiness and the, th- the sanctity and the things that they worked on, what they looked at, what they ate, the way they spent their time, really had an end game. And the Baal Shem Tov said the end game is to do a favor for another Jew. That's that's the peak. So the Tasha Rebbe's holiness, he, he, you know, he didn't help people despite his holiness, but because of his holiness. He ascended that ladder his whole life, and at a certain point, he was able to help people. Now, helping people means a lot of the time, he did a lot of medical, but a lot of times it comes down to Parnassah, which right. is holy especially by Hasidim, who invested that with holiness. Right. You know, people would come into the Tasha Rebbe, they say, I'm buying a new house, I need a bracha. So you'd say, how many bedrooms is it? They'd say three. You'd say, your wife wants four. Make sure there's an extra bed. He would tell people, make sure that your wife has enough cleaning help. That means he, he was able to scale the heights from somebody who was so, who was so removed from this, from this world, um, the realities of this world, who needed so little, who literally did not sleep. You could read his schedule. Yeah, slept yes. An hour, I want to talk about that. Hours. Right. And uh, and it could have been the opposite. It could be somebody with a five-bedroom house who the Rebbe felt, you know, or, or who I shouldn't say the Rebbe felt, but who really needed four. But the, you know, the, I, I, it was always about hashbaz and making more. You know, I, I mentioned the story recently. My wife says you should have you should have gotten to the Tash Rebbe. You know? <laughs> I would have a larger thanks, house. Thanks, right? <laughs> thanks for telling me now. But uh, um, so so again, the, the 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 fact that everybody went to him for help is because that was his end game. That's where he ended up after all those years of not eating and sleeping and learning and davening. This is a man who said the whole film to start today and sometimes two or three times a day. Right. And if he heard about a, uh, someone who wasn't well, a chayla, who he didn't know, didn't make a difference, whether a Jew who was in need, he would take out his film again and just start all over again. And there was this battle that played itself out between him and his gabayim always. They were trying to protect yeah, him the gabayim were from they, himself. Right. And, and the money Not all gabayim are like that. I know a little bit about how the Hasidic dynasties work. Some of them are a little bit you know, less aggressive. These guys were very mocked about it. It was because Tush was always in near bankruptcy until today, and the Rebbe was raising. Not millions, probably billions of dollars. I mean, huge sums of money were going through Tush and going right out as fast as it came in. And the government were frustrated because their own Malamban weren't being paid. There's that story you tell about um, 
uh, where the Rebbe says it's an emergency. We have to we have to collect on all these uh, pledges that were made, and they end up doing it, you know, in an emergency situation. And the Rebbe goes in and gives it to a poor man, like like all this the was time. the emergency all that, the time. that a poor guy needed money. And, you know? he, and he would say that if we're struggling. Without give, uh, if we're struggling with giving stucca, the government said we can't afford to give the stucca. He says, imagine how much worse it would be if we weren't giving stucca. Right. That means he's not stucca as is an indispensable way to live to go through the day. We have in the book there how, when he lived right after the war, he lived in Nyantaz in, in Hungary. Right. So he would go get wood to heat up the mikveh every every morning. So somebody said he coming out. He was a, he was a little frail man. Always was, and he said, what do you? you Slapping wood now from the woods, so he said he has to get stuck up before Davin. And this he is has his no money. Right? No money. So this is something he could do, right. and that's really how he lived. And he was such a uh, today. The word non-judgmental is a big word. He was not. I, I was by the Tashrabah. You walked into his his presence and his smile. He he just saw such a big vision of you and your neshama. Yeah, you felt his love. My father used to say that in that generation there were rebbes. There were some rebbes who had no nagias. That was there for those who get the. You know, context. They just, you know, they, 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 they had an even love and affection for everybody, and and didn't let, you know, and didn't let factors that today would would play into people's decisions influence them. Your father obviously was exposed to the greatest of the right. great, and he and he was privileged to special relationships that most people weren't. But the Chaznish writes this in a letter that what defines a gadol, what makes somebody a leader, is not having nagias, is being able to see right. the situation objectively and not being locked into petty small boxes which plagues most of us. Right. A lot of people don't hop, by the way. A lot of people don't understand that all that money can come into an institution. I should say it differently. A lot of people, when they see and hear that a lot of money comes to, especially a religious institution, especially the way the media in this country today you know, treats religious institutions, they don't understand the chesed and the benevolence that's being done with that money. They, they, they often can right. be jaded thinking, you know, oh, they must be sitting on, they must be sitting on a mountain of money over there. That me and you, Nachum, are in this world to make sure that people don't get jaded. Right. That's what we do. Is that what we do? That's what we do. I was wondering about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to welcome Gedalia Zlotowicz, who's here, by the way. He is, uh, he is of course, the head of Arts Girl Masora, getting a lot of nachas from the brand-new book, The Tusha Rebbe, The Life, Leadership, and Legacy of Mishulam Faish, Halevi Lowy, and Yisrael Besser, is in our studio. Now, there are a couple of observations that have to be made about writing books uh, about great holy leaders. The first is something that you touched on already. And, and, I, and I can speak to you about it because you have this vast knowledge based on all the different personalities you've written about. They never sleep. Why is it that one of the prerequisites for this type of leadership is getting those 60 to 90 minutes of sleep a night? Now, I know in other industries, some would say there are scientists who sleep only a couple hours a night, et cetera. But it seems that you know when it comes to this interpersonal relationship that he has with so many thousands that are constantly at his at you know requesting his time, it, it, it's an exhausting procedure. And yet he and and we now can name you know a million others that that we could well not a million but you get my point. We can name many others that would be on that list who just never you know I I, I say to myself I need some sleep you know I need I need to rest once in a while. It's so you know? funny because I look at you I slept in Lakewood last night and yeah. I got up at about. I was on about 5.15 to be around time, and I'm thinking, how does Nachum do this every day? <laughs> and he's still smiling and chipper and happy. And the answer is, is because that's what you do. That's your panasa, that's your calling, that's your man, that's what you're doing in the world. The rabbis see people, they understand that they're on call. They're, they're brain surgeons. And they're they're people always up. on call. They're, they're, yeah, that's it, they're no, always on this call. This is a rabbi who didn't go on vacation. There was no days off. People needed him when they needed him. And he insisted he would get annoyed at the at the gavam if you heard that somebody called again. He didn't have to know who they were. Uh, there's a term that Hasidim use, anash. Anash means our boys. It stands for anshleish which mm-hmm. means a tasha chasid. 
So they say, she's not, the Rebbe was allergic to the term because there's only Jews. It doesn't make a difference where he sends There are no insiders. Exactly. And not only were there no insiders, you could even say that the insiders were second tier. Wow. You know, you're here, you'll find me already. This guy just flew in or just called, and he loved that. Do you sometimes think um, that every, not, I shouldn't say every, but there are Rebbe's that are known for certain for certain rituals. Let's put it that way. I, I want to be careful how I put it. I'll give you an example. Uh, if you speak to those who were in Manchester, uh, there was, and I know that this may sound silly to some, but there were Talmidim of Rav Segal in Manchester who would stand outside his office when they knew he had taken a break in order to hear him say Asher Yatzer. They said the greatest Musrashmuz was hearing him say, and in general, when he said brachas, if you're from, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but when he said brachas, he would be, he, he couldn't say a shahakal and do it in, in, in 1.2 seconds like most of us. It would take him a tremendous amount of time. With the Tasha Rebbe, it seems that that same type of attention was paid to the ritual of Natila Sedayim, of washing one's hands. And I assume that means both uh, for bread and for you know waking up in the morning, et cetera, whenever one had to wash their hands. And, and you could describe it for us. It was it was not just a ritual. It was a it was a, it was a whole ceremony with a large cup, much larger than we would use, and and things like that. Right? Why? I, again, I can't I can't tell you why the Tasha Rebbe did what he did. But we wrote there in the book how famously, when the Chaim Hakadosh passed away, the Baal Shem Tov said by Shalosh is Rabbi, the light, the light of the West has been extinguished. Referring to the Chaim right. Hakadosh, he, he knew he passed away. So they asked him after, in the middle of Shalosh it was obviously Shabbos. How did you know that the Archaim HaKadosh passed away? He said, because there's the site, the secret of Natila Sedaim is given over to one tzaddik in every generation, and it came to me. I had that revelation. So I understood that the previous holder of that secret was no, no longer, longer with there. us. The old square rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov Yaisa, right. the father of the current square rabbi, Shlita, said the Tasha rabbi knows the site of Natila Sedaim. But really, everything he did was halacha. So it's I'm, I'm, I'm not comparing it or not comparing right. it to other rituals of rabbis, which are all uh, grounded in, in Kabbalah, if not halacha. But this is Hilchas Nathilah Sedayim. That means every single thing he did came from the Shulchan Aruch and the commentaries. The right hand, higher than the left, the way he put a towel over. Uh, we Make sure your uh, hands are not dry. Not you, me. We eat a lot. So we're sure we're always washing our hands. We're right. always coming, going. We're looking. Right. Thing. There's a bottle. There's a water fountain. We're making it work. He hardly ate. He didn't eat much, and 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 he was a he was a, he was a pure person. I interviewed right. people who were with him in the worst years during the Holocaust, right. and they said he was always clean and pure. There were no showers. There was right. there wasn't soap, and this man was was radiating. It was it was a different kind of light, and cleanliness was important to him. He he slept at night between forty five minutes, depending what time my lice was. He would change his bakasha. He didn't go into a bed. He sat right. down on the couch, and he had a ritual for that too. The Gavarim showed me what he did. He had three sfarim. He would kiss them, put them at the head, and then let himself sleep for about an hour. So Nathil Sedayim was, was also fed into that purity that, that enveloped him at all times. Why don't the Rebbe's eat? Isn't that also a common denominator among them, as far as I know, that very, very little time... And, and by the way, it's not just Rebbe's. There are certain other holy men that may not have a Hasidic following that are very... you know, Except Shabbos. Shabbos, they'll make sure to... you know consume something but it was not unusual as you wrote for the rebbe not to eat till midnight the rebbe not to eat and a lot of the days that he was fasting he would make sure to eat before shkia just right. not to fast not right. to get carried away by the arrogance and conceit of i'm fasting so right. he broke his fast i can't tell you why rebbe's don't eat I, I i do eat right but everything in, in Ilmaz, everything in this world is just a means right and, and shabbos is again different, so obviously. we're bored so we, you know right. we're filling whatever holes we have I always say on a fast day, one of the things I realize on a fast day is all I ever do is eat. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> spend a lot of time eating. Well, look around. Most people have a rough time on fast days. Most right. of our guys, right? right? Fast days don't go easy for us. Rebbe's are fasting um, every day. Yeah. Again, it's just a means. They see it. Right. Um, one of the things that's that's always intriguing to me, especially as I get older, is is the psychological development of a child when they are designated to be a Rebbe or a leader. There are those who, you know, naturally, and by the way, I think this Kfar Rebbe may be a, well, it's not a great example because one always expects the oldest son to take over, but, you know, but I don't know when the grooming began for his Rebbe dumb. The Tusha Rebbe's grooming, according to Yisrael Besser, basically started at birth. Would you agree at with that? birth, right. It's interesting. Mary Shapiro in Lublin, my grandfather would always tell this to me, would take in all the children of Rebbe's. But they said nobody got into Lublin. There were no connections. There was yeah. no. You had to know 200 blot. Mm-hmm. You had to take a bechina. They didn't always know 200 blot. They knew less than that. And he would take them in anyhow. So my grandfather told me that. They asked Amir why. She said, because the other ones, either they'll stay in learning, or they're not going to stay in learning. The Mitzianu who will stay in learning, come to me. These guys are stuck. They're going to be in learning regardless. So at least they should know something. They shouldn't be complete amiratsim. Right. If anyhow, they're designated... You know, as you said, for Rebbe, the mm-hmm. one you just coined. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. The, when you the, use it in your next book, make sure I'm in a footnote. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Why only a footnote? The, uh, the uh, con- uh, converse example, uh, off topic but on topic, is mm-hmm. the current Tasha Rebbe. The uh-huh. Heintika Tasha Rebbe. This is wasn't. the oldest son? How do we do <clears throat> He's not. There was an older son, tremendous tzaddik and a tremendous Ayyad Hashem, who passed away at right. a heart attack. I read that, right. In the book, <clears throat> on a Friday, suddenly, right. and he was Nefter. And all of a sudden, the youngest child of the Rebbe, the second son, the Rebbe was pointing to him. He he's a tremendous person. But most of his his life, he was the Rebbe of the, the of the Kahila after you know after that happened. But he had been very much involved with the medical, with business advice, with arranging loans. He was a tremendous what, what we would call an Askin, but I mean an Askin in the, in the most loftiest use of the term. He sat and helped Jews all day. Right. He had chabuses. He learned. He davened. But he was known as a, as a person out there in the world. He was a Rebbe of this world, and all of a sudden he's designated as Rebbe. In, in a short period before his father died, all of a sudden he had to go from that world. And until today, he's he's a he's a he's a spectacular rebbe, but he's not he's not that person who was right. groomed. Uh, he's much more interested in helping people and he the learned down the and chesed. Out. The chesed he got, the chesed he has, tremendous. Right. But his rebistava to the chagrin of some of those around right. him who would love for him to go with more colored coats and canes. You know, they give him a cane. He says, "I, I can walk. I don't, I don't, I don't right. need a cane. He's, he's free." Right. Well, but, but again, and so he, so that I, I find that spectacular. Like you said, his father was groomed for this. Right. His father was born the first child in fifty years to get the name of his grandfather. Right. He didn't let anybody else carry the name. Right. Who was the Tashrebbe's grandfather? His, the first Tashrebbe right. was named Mishal and Fish, and they had given a couple of children that names, and those children all passed away young. Right. and they said it's the, the name is too big for most Moshamas. When he was born, his grandfather said he can carry the great grandfather's name. He's ready for it. <clears throat> so he was groomed for it. And that, that, you know, today, you know what they would say today, the pressure you're putting on that kid, <laughs> and how's he going to adjust all this? You know, how's he going to, how's he going to relate to his classmates when he's, when he's, you know, I mean, it, and, not, and they're right. They're right. Right. In, in, in theory, they're right. The pressure is real. Right. But that's a different world and a different, this is a man, I interviewed somebody who is still alive today in Williamsburg who remembers the Rebbe after the war. He says he, he remembers, they knew this was the Tasha Rebbe. They saw the light in his face. He was wearing torn clothing. He looked, he said, "You should be my chumi like a clown." He, it was just cobbled together different clothing, mm-hmm. but he it was it was uh, he had a, he had a rebbe coat because my father's a rebbe, and this is what I'm going to do. Right. Uh, by the way, one of the things you mentioned that's interesting about the new Tusha Rebbe, or the most recent one, we should say, the one who serves now, is that it, it reminds us how important life experience is to what you end up doing. Because yes, 
as you said, the current Tasha Rebbe has incredible qualities and is a wonderful leader, but he didn't have the life experience that his father had. He didn't survive. It's a completely different model of Rebbe. Right. That means his father went to the top of the mountain. From the, and, from the <laughs> deepest valley one can be in. Right. And, and he came a totally different way. He came in, he's a Rebbe of 20, 2019. Right. That right. means he understands the people. He understands what they're asking him. He understands business. He understands life. He's, he's, he, he was out there, so to speak. And he brings all that into his father's chair. So it's fascinating to watch. Unbelievable. And at the same time, he's doing his father's job exactly mm-hmm. as his father did it. You know, he mirrors, like you said, the chesed, the complete giving himself away to other people, the complete lack of pretense and arrogance. Until today in Tashta, it's so, he's an approachable man. Accessible. This, this Rebbe, Rabbi Meshulam Faish Halevi Loa, who you wrote about, passed away in what year? This is going to be the fourth yard site. Fourth yard site. And this, was, was this a project that was thought about at the, soon after his passing? So, Ugdalia uh, is in the studio. We, we had talked about it a couple of years ago at one point. I don't know that the Hasidim themselves are ready for an English book. Right. This, isn't exa- this isn't their world. This, right. is a real, this is a real hardcore uh, cloistered Hasidus, Tash. It's, right. it's, it's, it's a little town A lot of people listening have never heard of them till today, frankly. Right, they, they knew about the rabbi, but the town right. itself, it's about 600, 650 families. There's a tiny little pizza store, a Svarim store, grocery store, and that's all you have over there. There's not, it, it's, it's really, a village. It's really a village, and it's much less cosmopolitan than Kiris Yale or New Square. Right. It doesn't, it's not like that. It's <laughs> um, funny that, you know, that we refer to New Square as cosmopolitan. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I guess, that, uh, that might be the tweet of the show, by the way. <laughs> Everything is relative, right? right? exactly. Uh, you know, be careful who you call cosmopolitan. <laughs> That's um, true also. But this wasn't their world, right. uh, the English-speaking world. But, but at the same time, they realized with the passage of time that this was a man, a rabbi of 300 years ago, who people will not believe he existed if we don't get this down right. now. Right. You know, there are Holocaust survivors now right. who still remember those years. And, right. and the man we built with nothing. Everybody was killed. Right. Parents, siblings, his kala. Right. Unbelievable. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Round the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. The book is called The Tusha Rebbe. It's from Art Scroll, of course. Yisrael Besser's in our studio. It's the life, leadership, and legacy of Rabbi Shulam Faish Halevi Lowy. If you're watching now on Facebook Live, facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. I'm literally holding the book up. Again, if you're on Facebook Live, the Tusha Rebbe book is the one that's in my hands at this moment. And uh, Gedalia, you want to chime in on any of this at the moment, or, 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 or we're good over here? We're good? Okay, great. Gedalia Zlatos is here, as I said, who leads Art Scroll, of course. Um, I, I thought it was unusual. And I need you to tell me if I'm right or wrong, that he had so much support early on from so many other Rebbes, where other Rebbes who I think would, would seriously think a hundred times before sending Talmidim to a different Hasidic sect and to a different Rebbe, he enjoyed that. The Satmar Rebbe sent him Talmidim and helped him start the entire village of Tush. The Square Rebbe, it's no secret, you know, and you've now told us, so it's really no secret. What type, what type of admiration he had for him, and of course we're referring, I assume, to the previous square Rebbe, right, early on, uh, had for the Tush Rebbe in the early 60s. I, I, is that common, that, that you would see this type it's of... It's common for a Rebbe who virtually did no travel at all. You know, he went to Israel once, 1971. You go to New York, London a little bit, but he wasn't a traveler. It wasn't like today that, you know, there was no uh, WhatsApp groups showing you every time right. the, Rebbe, the Rebbe lit a candle. And, and the, the Sephardim, his connection to the Sephardic world, which we didn't talk about, he, he called the yeshiva Arachayim, Tasha's called Arachayim, Al-Shem Arachayim HaKadosh, mm-hmm. 
and he told something to Rechaim Kaddish, came to him in a dream once, said, what are you doing for my children? For this Svaradik Montreal has about 30,000 Moroccan Jews, tremendous Svaradik community. I never Tashreva knew was their father. I've gone to the Tashreva, and current one as well, with Svaradik leaders. The, he carries them. He opened mices for them, which he funded. He makes a tish under Rechaim Kaddish's yard side every year for them. And they're always there. They're always there. Till today, if you go to the... It, 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 America doesn't have a lot of uh, the, the feel at a, at a tzian, at the cave of a rabbi. Right. Obviously, Uman is the mm-hmm. most well-known, but Karastir has become nah, and that Lubavitch. place. The Ayol, the Ayol in Queens be has become right. that. Um, the the Ayol is, uh, <clears throat> is, not, is not as fun, let's say, for right. lack of a better term. It's not term. an experience. Right. Uh, I've gone to Tush late on a Thursday night, and they're there. Uh, you know, there's Kogel and, and guitars and the, the smoking. There's a lot of... this Fadim from Montreal sit there. They daven. They feel they feel good there. They feel whole there. A little bit like Rivavadja and Sanhedria. A little bit like that. You know, right. right. But I'm saying for Montreal, this right. is a novelty. Right. You know, we, we don't have so many exciting things. Right. Yeah, your prime minister was shocked when he when he heard about that. <laughs> I say it like that because people may wonder why the Rebbe ended up in Montreal, and he actually, at some point in your book— uh, Before we you're making fun of prime ministers, and I, I live in Canada. Right. We, we, could, we could do your president <laughs> if you want. No, but, Anytime. Re- no, but I'm not really yeah. making fun. What I'm saying is that when people ask why he's in Montreal, which, of course, I was very curious how he ended up there, uh-huh. he actually at some point said, I think to the prime minister, maybe it was a different official, I don't remember who it was, uh, which you write about, that that he always felt Canada was a peaceful country uh, and one that uh, would Paris, be— Sorry, right. It was the premier of Quebec, which premier is like, of Quebec, like, right. like a prime minister. Right, governor, governor of a uh, state, right. Just— uh, this is just uh, of interest. Didn't come to in the book that much because it wasn't relevant. Tush was never politically aligned with Montreal's from community. They're always they're fascinating, and they, there's the French English divide in Canada. The from community traditionally always went with the conservative parties, with you know, with the Anglophone parties. Right. Tush was always very good because they live in in higher up in Quebec than the city, and their neighbors are the French people, and they were always great with the party Quebecois, with the, which is the French ruling party of which Paris was the leader. They always were very, very closely aligned with them. At times, they would split their vote because they wanted to do what was good for the Jews, but they right. also were very, very, they're very careful of their relations, and they're great. They have a great relationship with the, the Francophone community around them. They're a role model of how to interact with the people around you. The, the respect that they show each other is beautiful. Um, so tell me, yeah. So uh, when Parizeau came oh, to the Rebbe, right. right, so he asked him. So really, uh, it was easier to get in those years to Canada right. than the United States. So it was relatives who helped facilitate it, right? Right. Right. But uh, what the rabbi said is that the name of the Malach of Canada is Shalom, and right. that's why this And other... he was serious. Oh, God forbid he wasn't serious, but I'm saying he was, he meant it. He meant there is yeah. an angel. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't playing Because games. I never heard, before your book, I never knew that. But he... you know, Canada doesn't engage in war. You know, they're Correct. Saying, they, they, they've had a few uh, non-significant wars in their right. history. He said that they never will go to war, and they never have right. been to war. Always a peaceful look, country. And it is, it is that. Right. But until Besser, I didn't know that each country had an angel, did you? I didn't. <laughs> so I didn't. that's what took you, me a little bit know, by we, surprise. We learn new things on every page. <laughs> that I'm sure. <laughs> books are for now. That I agree with that. You know, it's funny, and and this, of course, was so significant when we uh, when we spoke about Mayor Zlotowicz. You wrote the book, the biography of Mayor Zlotowicz, and we talked about the small, individual, little acts of chesed that were such a major part. And, of course, as you would expect from a giant like this, the Tash Rebbe, again, a lot of small, what would seem to us insignificant or strange stories. He gave away his matzahs, Lil Pesach, right? Now, I wish you would have continued that story, so I, would li- I wanted to know what he actually did during the Seder. <laughs> but- right, right, I asked the guy by the same question. So he says, if you're asking me that question, then you missed the point of the story. Ooh, that's, that's what the guy told me. Ooh, what Because he meant that 
it, not he gave away. So excited. Like, you're putting me in a situation where I get to do what I most want to do. These matzahs that I've been working on for 11 months, grinding and eating. And, and decided that these would be the and, three I right? use at the Seder. This guy who came in, who was a, an emotionally disturbed individual, maybe not even obligated in matzah, who knows. Right. None of the guys were in the mood of having him there. Right. The type of guest who comes rolling in. And they were late. Think, and the Seder was right. already late. You know those guests who come in after sure. everybody already has this, now you're here? Right. That's the guy that ever wanted because he was sending a message about what a Jew is. That made him happiest. He said the, the way the Rebbe grabbed his matzahs and ran to that guy, he said the Rebbe's face was like a lottery winner. We have a story in there. So right? it's not That's... just the poor man who felt like a lottery winner. The Rebbe right. himself the Rebbe felt himself like a lottery winner. I want to mention a story yeah. uh, particularly. It's, it's very moving to me because I, I thought of Rebbe's lot of what's in the story as well. And when you write about great men, <clears throat> even though sometimes they seem like they come from different planets, there's game a common thread. recognizes game, right. and greatness meets greatness. Right. So there's a story there that Tash Rebbe had a lot of secret visits he'd do in the city. And again, he was playing with his gavam a lot, so he would officially go to do Bika Chaybom. He'd go to the hospitals every few weeks to visit all the people. But he said, we're here already, we're passing in, right. let me go. The so didn't like that. The older couple, they didn't like it at all right. because his schedule was right. hard. They didn't know why. He, there was an older couple he said he wanted to visit, he remembered them. As uh, as he's walking in, he asks, I don't know if you saw it, he asked, when was the last time it snowed in the city? Oh, I saw all? this story, all right. He said three days ago. He says, okay, he goes in, it's an elderly couple. Right. The the woman, the guy who described it to me, was so, she was so weak, she right. had a scarf tied to the handle of her fridge. Right. And the only way she could open her fridge is pulling the was scarf. like that. And the husband wasn't. So uh, the rabbi asked the woman, has your husband been bathed? Is someone cleaning him? She goes, yeah, the nose comes every day. He just came today. So on the way out, the Tasha Rebbe says to the guy, you told me it snowed three days ago. Look at the front steps. They haven't been cleaned. Nobody's right. been here in three days. No footprints, he so says. So the Rebbe brought in, right, exactly. So he right. brought in the son from New York, and paid, right. funded him to take care of his parents, let him know what his obligations to his parents are. Right. But this is a Rebbe who's thinking that way too. It's unbelievable. Um, that, <laughs> that he had the wherewithal to even put all that take together. It all in. And he sent someone to the house to help out. By the way, I know I'm focusing a lot on Pesach, but he did refuse to sign a letter uh, when people wanted him to declare that he does not use machine matzahs because there was someone in the building who was who was in the business of machine matzahs. He would give and, away sp- space, right? People right, and the rumor to... started that, that the Rebbe approves of machine, machine matzahs. matzahs. He refused to sign that letter because he thought, as I wish some people would think today, that it would cause too much of an international tumult. The ones, on... who, don't know, the ones who know about it know about it. He right. Said, the ones who don't know about it will only learn about it now. And right. all of a sudden, I took what, Why? Exactly. If you understand today's social media world and oh, how things boy. spiral out of control— you understand that the smartest thing in the face of controversy is just to sit tight and be quiet. Yeah, and Don't let it, feed it. Let it, uh, let it die by itself. Let it die, and that'll be the end of it. Um, the lost fill-in story, right? That's <laughs> I look. I I'm a regular American kid in a way, so I got to have some skepticism in me, right? <laughs> but the Rebbe knew that even though it appeared that his Tolson's fill-in, uh, it must have been that one trip you're referring to, right? He went to Hungary more. Than oh, once. so he did they go were... to Hungary more than Israel just once, but he went to Hungary other time, uh, and, and they were stolen, right? They were lifted by somebody at the airport. One assumed, which is not uncommon in European airports, right? Mm-hmm. But the Rebbe, what would you say? How would you follow up? Uh, again, we, we know we worked very hard not to make not to make the book as just a collection of miracles, right. random stories, because and they're nice and they they strengthen people's own so they come in. They're fascinating. Sure. And in this case, they're 100% true, confirmed, verified. And I turned away a lot of stories that I didn't, I couldn't speak to people. A- at the same time, some of them had to be included because it makes you understand that the Rebbe saw a different reality than the people around them. They were seeing uh, what their eyes beheld, which is that somebody stole the Talzin's Fulan, and he understood right. this epic battle. 
that he was fighting with, as he wrote, the Baldava, the Sitrach, the other side, the forces of evil, call it whatever you want to call it. He wasn't playing an, an arcade game. This was real to him. He understood that there's a force called good in the world and a force called evil. And you asked earlier, how does somebody not sleep? If somebody understands all day that they're here to fight, he's a tzaddik, maybe according to David Abu Chatzera, the tzaddik adar, whatever right. that means. I don't right. understand right. the significance of a term, but they do, right? Uh, so, uh, right, if you're a sports fan, so there are people who are great, and then there are all-stars, and then there's the greatest of all time, and right. everything has its significance. So, here, I don't, know, I don't know how to gauge super tzaddikim, but tzaddikim, who we accepted tzaddikim, said he was a tzaddik adar, whatever that means. I, I travel a lot, I interview a lot of people. Almost inevitably, I would meet people in Israel, especially. You live in Montreal, you know the Tasha Rebbe? Mm. That means tzaddikim always were very well aware of him. So he understood his role to fight this battle, and he saw things that we didn't see. Yeah, but when, but it, but it's not just a matter of bitachon that those tunnels and tefillin are going to be found. It is, is as you're describing, they, these thieves are representative of the evil in this world, and now I must do whatever I can in my power to and, fight And they want evil. to get me down, and I wrote right. this in the book. The Rebbe, you know, when he didn't sleep, he said, either he was feeling well or not feeling well. So the Gabarim told me he always had a reason why they had to let him dive in his way. He said, right. if I'm feeling well, I'm having a good day. i got to give it to God. If he wasn't feeling well, he'd say, it's the Baldava trying to get me down. I have to work extra hard. So they can never reason with him to slow down because he always, you know, he, he lived that way. All right. Yisrael Besser's here. We're talking about the Tasha Rebbe. Now, I mean, you know, speaking about getting down, uh, I mean, w- what could be worse than losing a child? And explain to, tell this audience what he, how he reacted to his children and grandchildren, right, including those who just lost their father when his son passed away. I'm, I'm going to tell you just with a little bit of an introduction. Sure. This is early feedback to the book already, Baruch Hashem. Sure. Somebody called me last night. It, 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 just he articulated it different than others. He said to me, he's going through a very rough personal time. And he's, he's got a lot of personal issues in his family that, are, that were bringing him down. He said it got so bad that he, he was embarrassed to tell this to me. He said, I, I couldn't even daven because I was asking Hashem for the same things again right. and again and again. I and didn't feeling feel like, he was, like I was being answered and I was cold and I was hating myself for being unable to do this. Not that he didn't believe, he just didn't feel it. Mm-hmm. He said, I picked up your book, and for the first time in years, I'm good. I'm good. That means the Tasha Rebbe, and, and I wrote this in, in the introduction because I heard the same idea from so many different people, not all of them big philosophers, that when they went to the Rebbe with what they needed, it was already okay even before he gave them a bracha, whether they would get what they wanted or whether they didn't. They didn't always get what they wanted. It's not a soda machine that you put in a dollar and press Diet Sprite, then it comes out. It doesn't go that way. They would ask. But once they saw his face and they felt his hand and they were in his presence, they knew that the Rebbe Shalom was good and God is good. And whatever's going to happen is the best situation for me. Now, that said, the Rebbe faced a lot of struggles in his life. And he always tried, including today, just to tell your listeners what happened. He had a son, his oldest son, his name was Amadcha, named for his father, who was a tzaddik. Everybody sat on his face that he was a tzaddik, very much in the model of his father. They were extremely close. In, in the early years, when the Rebbe still lived in the city, they learned together half a day. The Rebbe had more time in those years. Right. The Rebbe and him were bound, heart and soul. <clears throat> The, he didn't have children for many years, and the rabbi went with him on their trip to Israel. He was one of the reasons they went, and the rabbi told him at a certain point, the, the rabbi would go to Israel, the guy told me, with lists of names of people, especially those who didn't have children. And the rabbi would say, at a certain point, you can cross off that name, you can cross oh off that name. Oh, my gosh. You tell them that they, they've been helped. <sighs> yeah. Uh, he went with his son, and by the way, he said, the, the rabbi wouldn't talk in the middle of saying the whole tone, but he pulled his hand and he pointed at something, and his wife had, had his oldest son nine months later. Wow. They, they were very close. Um, on the morning of that Friday, it was Yud Ches Teves, which was, interestingly, the yard's head of the Bnei Sascha, earlier rabbi, 
whom the Tasha Rebbe would always tell the son of Marcha, your soul is connected with him, and you should give on his yard side, you should give Tikkun. So he he himself, Marcha, set up the Beis time morning as he did every year on that day with uh, cake and, and Lachayim. And the Rebbe had come in the middle of the night into the Beis Medrash earlier, and he opened down Kaddish and said to Hillam, and he said, maybe we could do something. He told whoever was there. So the Rebbe was clearly aware that there was something headed his way. And they came to tell the Rebbe that his his son had a heart attack and he didn't make it. They said, that's all is here. And uh-huh. He understood already. Later, later, no one should know what that feels like. Of course. Though it was a very short Friday. And, and it was the winter. Right. Montreal comes in even half an hour earlier than it does in New York sometimes. It could be in the threes. So they had to rush to the Leviah. Before the Leviah, the Rebbe said he needs to do something. And he made a phone call to a woman who had left her family. Her husband was devastated. The kids were devastated. <clears throat> and he said to her, please, <coughs> excuse me, I know it's difficult to be at home, but you're strong. You could do this. Do it for your children. Be big. He said, you probably heard what just happened to me. I can't go to Leviah without a schus for my son's neshama. Let's do this together for him. I'm asking you a favor. That means he, he found a way to uplift that tsar before the Leviah of his son, his beloved oldest son, and he used it in a constructive way, and, and she came. And, she, and I checked with her. She didn't just come for the day. That means she made things right. She understood how important it was to him, so she did her part. Then he went to Leviah, and he went to visit his daughter-in-law and, and children, told her certain things. Friday night, he died for the Amr. Uh, the Hasidim who were there that Shabbos described where he screamed out the words at the end of Mizmer Shelia Mashabas, Lahagad Kiyashar Hashem, that Hashem is Afret Suri, my rock of Layav Lasabai, and there's no imperfection in him. They said the cry, the roar, the, the, the simcha that he filled them with when he said those words, again, he did his thing, which was everything's okay. There's a plan. Not everything do we see, but around him, you knew that you didn't see everything because the whole thing was a secret. The whole thing was mystery. Unbelievable. So he, but at the same time, I wrote this. There's an older chassid. He's 96. It should be because of his name of the Perslai Weinberger. He built the chassidus with the rabbi. He literally went around on the streets collecting. He told me his own wife was having a hard time sleeping after that episode in Tush because she was close to the rabbi and she was devastated. One night the rabbi called her. That means it was his wife's friends and his chassid's wife. Right. And he said, it's, he said who it was. It was the rabbi. I know you're having a hard time with what happened to my son. You have to know that the Shalom is good. He has a plan. We don't know. Whatever people say in these situations, but that, that bothered him that she couldn't sleep because of the tsar. That means he was able to... Unbelievable. I, I am just... I'm speechless. What a story. What a story. Yisrael Besser is in our studio. The book is called The Tusha Rebbe, The Life, Leadership, and Legacy of Mishalom Faish Halevi Loa. You know, you left a lot of names out of this book. I don't know if Gedalia Zlotowitz guided you that way or if you made that decision. You left a lot of names, and I'll tell you what I mean. There are a lot of people who are well-known who will go to the Rebbe on a regular basis, who will travel hours and hours to, again, you know, ask about business decisions, not make a move, shidduch, et cetera, without his advice, without his bracha, without his guidance. And a lot of them are really well-known in the Jewish community. And frankly, I think would make the book an even better seller because of the names that could be included in the book. But a lot of them go by anonymous, I think. You know, Nachum, uh, if you're a reader, so if you're writing on the New York Times front page, then you, you don't have to do paparazzi. You don't have to do name drops because spotted, seen, who else was there is is very nice. It's a genre of literature. It sells mm-hmm. magazines and books, but it's not big or sophisticated or deep or changing anybody's life. It's just a way to fill boredom. We're selling some so, something so much bigger <laughs> than who may or may not have been there. I'm not paparazzi. I'm not here to tell I you. Know, but I know, but I'm here to... But I thought I might see a story from a very well-known Jewish philanthropist who wanted to be identified, and, and it would be an inspiring story that, oh my gosh, this man one. who's a billionaire 
you know, goes to the Rebbe and wants spiritual guidance for his, you know, business interests. I thought that would be an inspiring, you know, method so, of. So uh, first of all, the great part of our partnership is, I write. Now you're here talking <laughs> to Klai, so feel free to share whatever it is you feel like you want to share. But it wasn't just one billionaire. We're talking about a string in the nineties. Right. The government were describing there's an airport called Maribel. It's unused, just right. for freight up near Tash. It was a landing strip. It was being used for private jets. About ten jets a day would land. Just people coming to the Tash. We're talking about the wealthiest people from different countries mm-hmm. in the world, they were all drawn to Tush with no PR. There was no, there was no website. There was nowhere you can get an appointment in Tush. They just knew. Right. It was their secret. Right. Feel free. I, I, w- I would feel free, but because you didn't do it, I'm saying to myself it's probably inappropriate for me to do. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a You're sort of uh, my rebel when it comes Many people to I met so. were talking about people like Ronald Lotto, like Jay Schottenstein. Right. Some of the greatest leaders in the Jewish world mentioned right. to me, oh, from Montreal. I, th- is there a pic- I think there's a picture in here. Of him and Joseph Gross. Am I right that it was him? Very likely. I think so. I think I, I, I recognize Very him. likely. That that means uh, the, the top-level Jewish philanthropists. And business people. Doctors, business people, politicians. They all found a way to touch. Interesting. See, I would start revealing some of the names that I know, but I want to. I, I like my partnership with Gedalia Zlatowicz, and it may be important to him. There's no reason not to. Uh, well, it really, may be important to him to follow these guidelines. You know, Arts Girl has certain guidelines. You know that? You know what I learned? I have never you know what worked I, with easier people than I You know I what I learned from Gedalia Zlotowicz? I, I learned from him that if there's a word that's being translated into English that in Hebrew ends in a hey, you make sure to put an H, an A-H instead. Like mincha would be A-H, when I, a simpleton, would just write M-I-N-C-H-A. I learned that from the art scroll Zlotowicz, and it's, of course, attributed to his father. He told me that was his father. Did it. But what you're really saying is you didn't learn how to spell mincha. You learned that every single detail counts. That's really what art scroll is teaching us. And what art scroll teaches us is that the H is also that's an under, And that's why I wonder how he views my haphazard conversation here. But, yes, I do agree with you. I, 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 there's no secrets. Again, I, I could write a book on who was in touch every single day. And there are other groups where this is important. They love to let you know. Right. Other, see the groups, perhaps, who was here today. Tush was the opposite. First of all, because the only fireable offense for a guy by Tush was divulging a secret. It was all about secrecy. And they themselves didn't follow the Re- The Rebbe's network was so much bigger and more vast than they can see that they themselves couldn't really put together the dots. He was running, you know, uh, the, the Heintiger Rebbe told me he goes with a cell phone, the Heintiger Rebbe, which right. is not a Rebbe should think to do. That's for sure. Um, so the Kabam told me, they told him, Rebbe, it doesn't pass. It doesn't look be- good. Not right. becoming. It doesn't look right. good. So he said, if my father would be alive, he would have six cell phones. That's what the Heintiger Rebbe said. That means kids he could help six Jews at once. He, he would have at every pocket another way to help, you know, as many Jews as possible. So secrecy was, was important. He was, he was running circles around everybody else. Right. Was there a fear when he died that the support, financial support for the Hasidic village, people, dynasty, Chesed, could, could there wane been, Because the man was not just larger than life. He carried Tash, but uh, the Rebbe promised many, many times, my son is the successor. His, his son, like I said, in the Rebbe books, it always says he didn't want it. They pushed him. I'm sometimes suspicious about the claim that whoever that the leader of Rosh Hashiva Rebbe didn't want it and he had to be forced to do it. Um, but this Rebbe didn't want it. But right. his father pointed at him, and there are videos of him pointing, you're the one, you're the one, you're the one. So the Rebbe said, you come to him, it'll be like you come to me. Right. Tush will live. That, that meant everything. So the Rebbe promised. So today, is it the same glory and bankruptcy that you described earlier? The bankruptcy, so they're always on the verge. That's right. true. They, you know, they're carrying a lot. The Rebbe helps a lot. Uh, I find the glory still there. It's different. You need to have eyes right. to see. That means, I don't, I don't know that you're seeing, um, I'll tell you a story. It's, it very much typifies the, the current Rebbe and, and his model of leadership. I went with a group of Sephardic leaders from Montreal mm-hmm. to, to visit him. They were making a dinner. The father, the old Rebbe, every time they made a, a dinner, so 
we would, they would sell it. He would give them a Nayim Ali Melech, the Rebbe Ali Melech, and he would bless it with his hands and he would give it to them. Mm-hmm. And they would auction it off that night at the dinner. And it would go for large sums of money. This fire the community, Amunah Sadiqim, a holy safer, blessed by a holy Jew. So they asked the Kohen Rebbe, could you please do the same thing? So he looks at them. He says, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, uh, I don't know uh, how to, I don't, I don't, I'm not my father. I'm not capable of doing that. Right. So they thought he was joking and they thought it was false modesty. So they're like, ha ha, LOL. And he's just sitting there. It's quiet in the room, a little bit uncomfortable. He says, can't do it. They're like, uh, s'il vous plaît, le rabbin, le bene. They're like telling him in French what his father used to do. He says, ich weiß nicht wie. Okay. So he says, uh, gives him an email of Take it to my father's tzien and put it on the tzien for three minutes. And that's what you should do. So I went with them. They're very optimistic people. Three minutes exactly. You're a real person. And they made a spectacular amount of money right. with that. That means he's doing it a very different way than his father. Right. He's not running to think, but he's getting to the same goal as father, right. which is helping people. Right. I'll t- I, I find it fascinating. I'll tell you later today by email what that story reminds me of. But that's a, that's a great story. I love that. Uh, and in general, when you see successors who understand their or in their it may be their in their own point of view because again they're Hasidim think more highly of them, but that they understand that they're not yet at the level of their People predecessor. Come to him now, he says to them, still thank today, you so much for being Mechazek and Rebbe. It's so nice of you to come by. And, and it's this. four years later. Yeah, thank you for doing this for me. I'm new at this. Thank All you right. for your support. And by the way, you're a real Hasid now. I see. I mean, you're going to the Tzian with the with the groups of people. You're. What would your grandfather say about this? Would he be all right with that? Was he close to the Tasha Rebbe? Did he meet Somebody him? asked me, what would your grandfather say about a Hungarian Rebbe? Right. My grandfather was the Cor- glory of Poland. I Correct. Said, I said, he would ask me one question. Nach Panusa? <laughs> then it's great. That's what, that was what my grandfather would say exactly. I can see your grandfather saying <laughs> that. <laughs> Making a living? Rabbi Besser's great. grandfather, of course, the great Rabbi Chatzkel Besser, who uh, I proudly say was a great fan of this show. I'm proud to say. My grandmother's as long as it still is. Mamash. Unbelievable. And you remember your aunt, or I should say your great aunt, Right, uh, Mrs. Elbaum. Sure. She was correct, and she was a a staunch supporter of JM yeah. and the AM. I think I think when Rabbi Yudin spoke on Friday, nobody was allowed to call her. Like they they knew that, was saying is at eight fifteen Friday. Uh, uh, Israel Besser is here. The book is called "The Tushar Rebbe: The Life, Leadership, and Legacy of Mishulam Feich Alevi Lowy. You're watching Facebook.com slash Nahum Single Network and um, and Rabbi Gedali's Lotowitz. If there's anything you'd like to add, please do. I don't know if you know. I don't. I don't want to. Uh, Give up the opportunity if there's something you want to tell us. Um, uh, Rabbi Zlotowicz reminds me, and I, I was going to bring this up. I hear that they're not letting you rest at Art Scroll Masura. They don't give you a break. This book comes out. You're probably breathing the biggest sigh of relief that Nahum Siegel finally has it in his hands. And already they've started you on a new project. They are slave drivers over there they're on 2nd Avenue in Brooklyn. I have to mention something before you that. <laughs> yeah. just, this epitomizes really... Talk about the success of art school. He's sitting in studio. How many people do you have? He's a Claudius Roll figure. He's sitting about three inches away from a mic. You're basically pushing it in his face, <laughs> and he's saying, no, I'm good. Right. I have nothing to say because he's so comfortable that the message is getting out there. Right. So this is exactly but I his said father's to you, right. model for leadership right. and his own. They're I able agree with that. They make people be great, and it doesn't have to be them. They're I, able to, I agree it. with that. But he doesn't realize, as I said to you before the show, how happy I am because what I'd really prefer is to get him in your seat for an hour. And Could not- I get to sit there, though? Sure, if you'd visit us, but you're always up north. But yes, that's my desire, <laughs> okay. is in a few weeks from now, bring him in. Maybe oh, Rosh Hashanah awesome. time, when all these books are floating, you know, th- the people are ordering like crazy. Bring him in and get this whole full-length discussion over. We'll do that at a different time can now. I tip, can I give you one more tip about him? It'll take 30 seconds. Very quickly, please. He goes to Camp Monk for Shabbos. Right. That's his, he'll talk to you about that. That's his vacation. Radio. That's his vacation. <laughs> uh, one Thursday night, he goes up straight from work, mm-hmm. and he's uh, refereeing a hockey game. 
And his wife sends you a picture. He's in his happy We're place. We're talking about Gedalia Zlotowitz? Gedalia Zlotowitz. Yeah. And he's <laughs> dropping a puck. Right. So I told his wife, I said, you don't understand, he's, he's doing that all week. He's a referee all week. <laughs> he is Clyde's referee. Yeah, that's Now true. it's with a hockey ball in the gym, and it's always, whenever I call him, he's, he gets it calmly, and he's always making it work. That's funny. Because, he is Clyde's Because referee. I've learned that if one needs referee advice, call him. He's the he will give you good that's advice. It. So um, now they don't I let want, So one second. Yeah, I'm sorry. You want this to is, uh, he's sitting here. He knows it's true. I came in for the summer. We come for the summer. Right. I wasn't even finished, Hush, and I wasn't ready for a new book yet. Right. The first night Most I came, publishers would have – let me do this, please, if you don't mind. Most publishers would have some Rachmanis on you. Most would give you a little time. All publishers like, All have, publishers would, right, would they, have Rachmanis. They'd have a little bit of sympathy. Right. They'd let you rest up. Just they finished let, a book. They, they'd let you revel in the success of this, Rabbi Besser, that I'm showing now on Facebook Live to all your friends in Montreal. Right. They, he'd, let you, he'd let you bask in the glory of, an, mm-hmm. of what will be a bestseller in the Jewish world instead – what does Gedalia Zlotowitz do? The night I come yeah. for the summer, yeah. um, it was very hard for me because I couldn't even help my wife unpack and get the kids in right. the shower, which was personally a big struggle to have to let her do that on her With own. you, I believe that. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, he says, I need to meet you tonight. Right. So we go. We met in Riverdale. And uh, <laughs> in, you know, in between Monty and Buckley, he says, Sully, Rabbi Trank, I need you to do this. Because Rabbi Dabit Trank had recently passed away. I had passed away like, two weeks earlier. Right. I had gone to Camp Monk my whole right. life. So I knew everybody drank well and appreciated very much. But I wasn't ready for that. And he's like, uh, we need to do this. Right. Let's go. Now, right. now I'm here for the summer. These are the two months where I could get in interviews. It, w- it was like walking off a roller coaster and being pushed on, right, you know, mm-hmm. onto, a, onto a, mm-hmm. a new roller onto coaster. A wor- onto a harder ride. <laughs> a month later, five weeks later, I have to tell you that it has been a joy. These last five weeks of just listening right. to stories about everybody David drank and being exposed what he stood for right. has already changed me as a father. Okay, so now can I really put the pressure on you? And yeah. I'm the, I don't think this will surprise Gedalia at all. I spoke recently, when I mean recently, I mean in the last 48 hours, with two serious Monk alumni, names that everybody in this audience are very familiar with. And they said to me, not to put pressure on you, Sir Besser, it is impossible to put together the entire portrait, the entire picture of David Trank. It's impossible to write this by. I, I am... I, 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 I am not jealous of the person given this assignment to try to put together. can do it and will do it. Whoa! Kedalia Zlotowicz has chimed. That I had to jump in. He has chimed in. He has more faith in you than some of the dedicated alumni. What do you think of that? I I appreciate (laughs) it. That's what makes him him. And what they see as impossibility is why it's going to be a great book. Exactly what they're calling impossible is what they mean is it's difficult to capture. It's difficult to me too. But the people are very nice to me. They tell me their stories. They share. And it's coming together in a way that is it could change the world. It could change the Chinuch world, right. parenting world, not professional. Because right. everybody's really doing it. I'm telling you, it changed me right. on a very personal level yeah. in the last few weeks. The same way that many people in the community, and I'm, I'm, and I'm being totally serious about this, tried to implement some of Mayor Zlotowicz's um, activities and acts into absolutely. their lives after they read that book. Ab- ab- same absolutely. They're going to read David Trank, and they're going to say, oh my gosh, I can be doing so much more, and I can be acting so differently. Did you do any of the... Uh, Obituaries? Any of the articles post his passing? I wrote a mishpacha. You did? You know, it was my day job. I wrote it. It was a, you did. Sunday. You did the movie theater story or somebody else? I didn't. I didn't write the You know that story theater. or not? Um, yeah, I'm familiar. You heard about story. it. Right. Sure. Gedalia actually called me. It was a Sunday. We print on Sunday mishpacha. I said, right. my trank was just nifter. Right. We need to do something in the magazine this week. At that point, I didn't anticipate. I consider myself a pretty good judge of, it's very hard to say who's going to get coverage right. and who's not. And I'm certainly not one to decide. These things just work out. Gedalia says, um, I think you should do something Trank now. I said, we're closing. He says, I think you should do it this week. And we, we did it. Right. It meant not sleeping. We closed Monday. And everybody did it. Mm-hmm. I, I felt happy, first of all, that we hadn't let down our readers. And I hadn't realized myself what a story it was. And we're talking about uh, uh, 
a, a love. And it's not a philosophical love in Chinuch. It's an instinctive love in Chinuch that right. we all have in us, and it's a way to look at people around you that can light up the world. I know a Rebbe who um, has changed hundreds of lives himself at, in his career as a Rebbe, and uh, he said to me the other day that uh, Rabbi Trank in Adelphia basically saved him, to- totally saved him. Without him, he would... Oh, by the way, I could forward you his name that. if you want. I but love uh, all of it. You know, I, I had... This is... On the air, it wasn't a terrible thing, but one of my children had misbehaved in a way that was disappointing to me, a teenager. My wife asked me, what are we going to do about this? This was a disturbing thing that right. they had done. I, she felt like we should be reacting. Maybe we discussed it. I said, okay, we'll talk. I was working. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting by Rabbi Zavi Drank, by his brother. So he said, my brother was always on the road. You know, you'll read him. So this man was running through life between his Talmidim and his Bikachelams and his Mikvah and his visiting older people. He just packed in in a day what most of us can't do in a month. Right. And he said, what did my brother do in the car a whole day? He was tone deaf. He didn't listen to music, and there was no cell phones in right. those years, you know. Um, so he wasn't a cell phone person. So what was he doing in the car? He said he was listening to tapes. What tape? One tape. Which tape? He said there was a schmooze from Matasio Solomon, and he would listen to 30 seconds of it again and again the same 30 seconds. He said, by my estimate, his brother said it was over a 1,000 times. The same 30 seconds. What was it? It was Matasio saying in a schmooze, what do you want from your children? When you were their age, you did the exact same things. And then again, rewind. What do you want from your children? When you were their age, you did the exact same things. And he would review this again and again. And I heard this from his brother, and I worked out, and I called my wife. I was like, goodness gracious, I did not exactly. similar. The exact same thing that's bothering me. I did precisely the same thing, except worse. What do you want from the children? I was like, holy. Now, we could have all thought of that. Yeah. 25 seconds ago, you knew this also. But Rabbi Trank listened to it a thousand times, and he saw children in that way. He saw them as the adults they would become, the successful mm-hmm. adults they would become. You've uh, you've told Gedalia Zlotowitz that this manuscript will be ready when, and when between me and you it will really oh, be ready. Oh, Gedalia tells me when it's going <laughs> to be ready. Oh, yeah? I don't tell him. He, he's, uh, he, he tells me when it's going to be ready. So what's our target? He would very much like it for the yard site. That's always a very moving time, which is a difficult, difficult Is task. it June? It's June. It's less than a year. Right. It's got to be in the manuscript. It's got to be in right. sometime after Pesach. So basically in the next couple of years you'll have it done. This- <laughs> <laughs> we haven't missed a deadline. Uh, I know that's true, way. by the way, right? You really didn't miss a deadline. It should, should continue to help us. Sometimes it's two others. It's a little easier this year. <laughs> that's true. It's a struggle. You know, but Amir Tisha. Tisha and this will be your focus. You'll still be able to write for the magazine, right? Yeah. But yeah, this yeah, will be do, your yeah, main look, I mean, focus for next year. Exactly. You will be in Camp Monk in your head for the next 12 months, basically. I'm in Camp Monk in my head anyhow. <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? Track. Whether I'm a nice around yeah, or not. Slice City gave me the opportunity to do it as a job. I love it. Uh, Rabbi Besser, always have a blast with you. Always. This is a lot of fun. It is great. Uh, congratulations. Thank you very much. And I hope you'll invite me back when Rabbi is in this chair just to watch. Yeah, yeah, I don't think you'll actually show up, but you could maybe watch it on Facebook Live. You know, I'm here. You know how I'm hard it is to get you in studio and you're always spending your time in the Montreal area? It's very difficult. I took great advantage of the fact that Gedalia said today we could get you in here. Appreciate you having me. It's always fun. It's always wonderful. The Tusha Rebbe, The Life, Leadership, and Legacy of Rameshulam Feish Halevi Lowy, written by Yisrael Besser. Go to artscroll.com. I apologize I didn't get the comments from the app or from Facebook Live because we were so focused on our conversation, but I'm sure a lot of people out there have, in fact, reacted to this conversation. And again, I thank you for being here, Rabbi Yisrael Besser. And our next trip up north, we're going to come visit you, and both in Montreal, and then we'll travel together. Could you, do you have any uh, any special connection? Like if we show up, could we get in right away? Or it doesn't work that way up at Tush. <laughs> you, you need connections. Oh, you, you, oh, you think it's me? You, you think have it's so me? many friends, you'll be fine. <laughs>
<laughs> I don't know. We're gonna have to speak about this in advance. I don't. I don't want to. You know. I don't want to drive up there and have to wait around three hours for a So you know that. And you did point out earlier that in Tush, everybody's on equal playing field. You know, there's no, there's no uh, extra favors that are being done for anybody. So we'll have, we'll have to speak about this in depth before the visit. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. More coming up. You're listening to a Thursday morning edition of JM in the AM. <laughs> 